0: And welcome, everybody, to The Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Hope you are well. We are now into August. Yippee! That just means that the humidity, the horrible humidity of this summer here in the Washington, D.C. area is coming to an end. So my sweat glands are happy. Uh, Here is what is not happy or what was not happy this weekend. My muscles, all of them. You know, this is the worst thing you can do when you're in your mid-50s and you get a phone call From your son who says, Hey dad, can you give me a hand uh, moving this weekend? Oh sure son, why not? So there, there my wife and I were helping my son and his wife and their daughter move into their new home, happy for them not happy for my muscles. Yes, of course, it's all about me. Got to say that. Uh, Anyhow, so we went ahead and we helped them move. uh, And I was literally in traction uh, the rest of the evening until, of course, it was nine o'clock at night. And we decided, hey, you know what? We want ice cream. So uh, all of a sudden, my muscles were just fine when I wanted ice cream. Uh, But anyhow, that was my weekend. Uh, Kind of excited about it. I thought you'd be too. But then again, you probably have now moved on to a different podcast going, why do I care about David Brody's moving experience? Uh, Maybe you'll care about this. Uh, On the podcast, Today, Alyssa Farah, top senior White House administration official. She's the director of strategic communications for the White House. We all know about Kaylee McEnany. Well, there's Alyssa Farah right there. I don't want to say stapled at the hip, but right next to Kaylee McEnany's hip. And she provides some insight into what's going on with the Trump administration as it relates to all different sorts of topics. I had a chance to sit down and interview her at the White House, and we uh, talked about election fraud uh, all this mail-in balloting stuff that you hear trump talking about and tweeting about uh the 2020 race covid19 and hydroxychloroquine thank you very much i'm used to pronouncing it now riots in the street, Trump and racism. It goes on and on, uh, and we'll have that on the podcast today. Speaking of podcasts, don't forget Number of the Day, Scott Rasmussen's podcast where he breaks down a specific polling number. Uh, He's been doing a lot of polling with this upcoming election uh, just uh, a few months away now, so check that out. Number of the Day at JustTheNews.com or anywhere you get your podcast. And of course, John Solomon reports and, Sh- and Cheryl Atkinson's podcast available as well. Please subscribe, leave a review for them, leave a review for me and subscribe to the Pods Honest Truth too. I would be very happy. And of course, as you know, and I've said this before, my ego would be over the moon if you could give me a 5.0. If you don't give me a 5.0, you know what? Just go watch a rerun of Beverly Hillbillies or something. No reason for uh, you to uh, leave a review at that point. Did I date myself with Beverly Hillbillies? I think I did. People are Googling it now. Gen Zers are like, what are you talking about? All right. Back in a moment with the Alyssa Farah interview here on the Pod's Honest Truth. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And welcome back, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Time now for our interview with Alyssa Farah. Uh, the White House Director of Strategic Communications. We've had Kelly McEnany on the podcast before. Uh, now it is Alyssa Farah's turn, if you will. Uh, and boy, I tell you what, as my dad would say, she's a smart cookie, uh, if you will. That, so, you know, look, it's a 1974 term. I don't know where he came up with it, a smart cookie, uh, but it's true. Uh, she was excellent in this interview with a lot of good information, uh, everything from mail-in balloting and what the president was thinking when he tweeted out Uh, Some question marks about whether or not we should delay the election Uh, She clears that up Uh, Also, uh, lots of information about the 2020 election and Joe Biden And about what I thought was very interesting in this interview you're going to hear She talks about the suburbs and being safe uh, in the neighborhoods that you live in And clearly this is the president's um, uh, way of trying to explain to folks that he is the law and order president And you've got to be careful because with Joe Biden coming, you know, it could be literally the wild, wild west or the wild, wild suburbs. So we're going to get into that. Uh, Lots more as well in the interview, including uh, some information about those Russian bounties we've heard all about. Remember the bounties that they supposedly were paying the Taliban to put on American soldiers in Afghanistan? She clears that up as well. Here's our interview with Alyssa Farah. Well, Safara, good to see you.
1: Good to see you, David. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, COVID nineteen. Look, if you if you hear the media talk about COVID nineteen, um, they like to say that this president has blood on his hands and all of that. What what is the reaction to when this administration hears that type of talk from the media?
1: Well, first off, it's it's a tragedy that our nation is united in that we've lost one hundred fifty thousand Americans. This weighs he- heavier on no one's heart than the president's. I'm in with, me, in with him in meetings daily when he's getting updates, he's getting data reports, he's deploying PPE, he's sending support to states, and it's just he doesn't let the noise bother him. It's hard for those who care about him and those around him. He's focused on leading, though, and what our government has been able to do to respond to this unprecedented crisis is, is truly amazing. Um, what, what One thing I would tell your viewers that I think is important to know is just, how far we've come since March and April at the height of this virus. Yes, cases are still rising, but we have therapeutics. We have PPE. We have hospital capacity. We've actually got some exciting announcements coming on further therapeutics soon, and we're racing toward a vaccine. And that is all thank you to President Trump's leadership.
0: Mm -hmm. So you think that media narrative is is pretty much bogus?
1: It, It is. Listen, the media plays an important role in public health and in getting information to the American people. What's not helpful is when they're weighing in and not giving all the facts, not properly contextualizing it, and really politicizing what's a tragedy. We all really need to be united and together.
0: Mm-hmm. Hydroxychloroquine. I'm glad I pronounced it correctly. Um, there are a lot of folks that say, hey, the, the president was right all along. W- what's the feeling inside the White House about hydroxychloroquine?
1: Well, I would start by saying the president is the right to try president. He passed historic legislation that helped terminally ill patients try try, uh, try medications that are still in the trial phase, anything to try to save their lives. So that's the mindset he approaches this virus with as well. We've always said while well, talking about hydroxychloroquine, you should only take it in consultation with your med- medical professional, so with a doctor. Um, I can tell you, for example, in my previous life at the Department of Defense, I've traveled all around the world, I was prescribed hydroxychloroquine many times as an antimalarial. This is something that's been approved by the FDA since the 60s. Millions of Americans have taken it, but when you have the media out there, folks on MSNBC, some folks on CNN saying, you will die if you take this, that not only prevents people who may need it and it could have benefits to from wanting to take it, but also, The millions of men and women in our military who have taken it, people who have rheumatoid arthritis who are taking it, who start to question, is this safe? Studies have shown that as a prophylactic, something to take preventatively, it could work and it could have some positive effects with regard to the coronavirus. But again, we always emphasize, consult your medical professional first. Mm -hmm. And this administration is really focusing on some of the other therapeutics that we've been promoting. Remdesivir has proven to be tremendously effective in lowering mortality, lowering the need to be in the hospital, and we've got over a hundred million vials of it that we've been able to circulate nationwide and surge to kind of the hot spots. So we're really kind of throwing our weight behind remdesivir. Uh, there's some steroids that have proven helpful, but we're not going to rule anything out. Um, we're going to do it in consultation with doctors and medical professionals. but. The goal is to save lives.
0: Let me move on to uh, news of the day a little bit. Uh, there was a tweet from the president uh, this morning on, on Thursday morning where he talked about, and he put a lot of question marks after it. But should the election be delayed? We've already heard Senator Mitch McConnell and Ted Cruz come out and say no, we're not. We're not going to delay the election. What, what was the thinking behind that that tweet? Yes.
1: Yeah, so the president was raising awareness about the issues with mass mail-in voting. So he's been raising alarms about this for a while. When you have states send out mass ballots to voters to turn in at any times, they're ripe for fraud. So an example we would point to is a New York congressional district had their election result, or their election was weeks ago, but the results have yet to be called three weeks later because of mass mail-in voting, some fraud related to, and and just not being able to account for the ballots. So the point he's making is, if we go to this model and we do this across the board, how can we even be sure that the election results are gonna come on election day? Mm Um, And I would raise this, I mean, Democrats talk quite a bit about election interference and the concerns with election security, which, by the way, this president has made a top priority. The Department of Homeland Security, DOD, are working heavily on dealing with foreign actors. But this president also cares about the integrity on the domestic front, making sure that ballots go in the mail to the right place, that they're from the right name, that they're not mailed to deceased voters. These are important issues that we have to deal with. I mean, one of our most cherished rights as Americans is our right to vote, one person, one vote, and he wants to protect that.
0: So there are some folks, uh, I I think it's five states, Colorado and state of Washington, who these governors, Democrat governors, but they'll say, hey, look, we've had no problems overall with mail-in balloting the way they do it. What's the response to something like that?
1: There's widespread cases throughout the country. L.A. County also was one that had significant issues with fraud. Um, We're working with state and localities to get it right. We offer guidance from the federal government on how you can properly um, engage in your elections and oversee it. So there is transparency and we don't have these issues. But I can tell you he's raising a very valid concern. And some of the same media figures and outlets that are criticizing him have actually done, to their credit, some really strong reporting on this issue. The Washington Post had a very interesting piece about the issues and the pervasive fraud that you could have with mass mail and voting just this week. So the, the information is out there. The president's raising awareness because Americans need to educate themselves going into November, going into Election Day. But we want the election on Election Day. We want the results as quickly. And, you know, we want four more years of the president.
0: The, the economy, some tough numbers today in that second quarter. What does that pretend, portend for the future, potentially? Because last time I checked, the third quarter comes after the second quarter. And, oh, by the way, that could be right around October.
1: Yes, yeah, so we were anticipating uh, poor numbers for Q2, just to be honest. Um, if you think about it, April and May, the economy was artificially shut down to deal with coronavirus. So millions of businesses weren't operating, money wasn't being circulating in the economy. We started some phases of reopening in June. So we anticipated, actually our projections sh- showed it would be worse than the 32% it ended up being. Um, but we, have, we do think, A, GDP growth is a bit of a lagging indicator. We expect that Q3 is going to be significantly better. Our economy is on the rebound. Even with some states still being in certain phases of reopening, we see a lot of early indicators that it could be a very strong third quarter, and even better fourth quarter. Um, The president is the president of jobs. This is a man who brought about seven million new jobs since he was elected to office. He is the person to turn it around after this terrible tragedy that our country's been through to get Americans back to work.
0: Speaking of a, a president and the economy, he's also, as he says, the president of law and order. And of course what we've seen in Portland for, what, now 63 straight nights uh, has just been it's been hard to watch. We're, what's the view of this White House when you see Democrats like Jerry Nadler and others at the bar hearing the other day and others who, who were saying they're calling these folks protesters, sometimes peaceful protesters, and we're seeing the, the images are the exact opposite.
1: Oh, it's the exact opposite. And we've been getting footage. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security has been doing an incredible job trying to maintain the peace in the streets of Portland, when, frankly, the governor and local police um, enforcement have not stepped up to the job. And what you see is organized agitators. You see anarchists trying to burn down a federal courthouse. Men and women across this country aren't going to stand for that. We've heard tremendous feedback on this issue. It's one that just really resonates with the American people because if we're not going to defend, you know, our federal buildings, What's next? Is it my neighborhood next? And the president has tasked the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf with staying near Portland, following through to make sure that the, the Oregon governor actually polices her streets and actually protects federal buildings going forward. So we're going to be monitoring it closely in the weeks ahead, um, but we have the resources there that we need. And across the country, if the president sees lawlessness, He's going to step up. I mean, his first job as he sees it is to protect the American people.
0: Mm -hmm. And I know you can't get into elections necessarily, but I would think that that that's the type of uh, message that this White House wants to project uh, not just to all Americans, but especially folks that are maybe concerned in the suburbs and, and even outside the inner cities in this country.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, as a young woman myself, I, I think that we've all been rattled by sort, some of the lawlessness we've seen in the streets. We all fundamentally believe in our First Amendment rights to protest and to demonstrate. That is something no one can test. But when it turns into looting and to lawlessness and to violence into arson, that scares the American people. They want to know they can walk from point A to port point B. They can go and get their groceries and feel safe in their communities. And I think that that's really been something that has rattled people in the last few months not feeling safe in their own communities. And this president is committed to it. He's a law and order president who believes you've got to have safe streets. And we're going to do it. And the Department of Justice, by the way, under AG Barr, has been phenomenal in, in you know, jumping into some of these communities that have really been rocked by violence and bringing about law and order.
0: Has it been frustrating at all for, for maybe you and this White House to, to be part of a group that's kind of all assailed for being, uh, you know, not that you're, it's not about you, but this president, you know, uh, Confederate backing and racist and just this whole idea, just feel like an us versus them. There's a lot of vitriol aimed at this president, especially uh, along racist lines
1: there is and it's it's hard for those of us around him who care about him who know the real man to hear it there is no one more passionate about this country about every american than president donald trump and i can tell you i've been in some of the most heartfelt moments with him where he's he doesn't see race he doesn't see class he doesn't see economic socioeconomic status he sees people what what us, President Trump was his firm understanding of just the average American, and despite being this tremendously successful businessman who, you know, has, has had successes I can't imagine, he can resonate with the average person. The, the race issue, I would say this, no one has done more for minority communities in this country than this president. We've brought about tremendous economic equality. Now, the coronavirus has kind of turned some of that back, but he's the right man to get those jobs numbers up. He's the right man to be promoting opportunity zones, to be promoting you know, economic equality, but also social equality. Um, and I just—I would reject any of those characterizations. They
0: like to—two last questions. The rescinding of that fair housing law that—under the Obama administration, a lot of people said, well, especially when he tweeted out suburb, folks in the suburbs, basically paraphrasing here, but you're going to be okay now because I've done that. Uh, what's, what's the view based on the criticism of that?
1: Yeah, our view—I thought the criticism was unwarranted. Our view is the federal government should not be dictating what American communities look like who needs to live where, where we're going to, you know, mix people in. It's, we want people to aspire to their American dream. For some people, that is a suburban neighborhood they're going to live in. For others, it's being in the heart of a city. We want everyone to be able to strive for what they want, but we don't want the federal government saying what each community needs to look like. That's that's not conservative. It's not what this president believes in.
0: I want to give you a chance to respond. There, there's been this uh, video out there. Uh, the president sat down with Jonathan Swan, and, and it's kind of gotten out there because the media, you know, Mark Halpern used to call them the Gang of 500. They all kind of feed off of each other in that Washington, D.C. or Washington-New York corridor. But about uh, the Russian intelligence or, excuse me, the Russian bounties apparently put on uh, American soldiers paid to the Taliban um, and the intelligence behind that. So so what is the pushback from the White House about that? Because it seems like that clip has gotten a lot of attention.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked it. I think you characterized it very well. The media kind of cir- uh, circles around it's each other and frenzy. feeds each other's narratives. So this one's really important, and I don't want to go too far with discussing intelligence, but I, I can say the intelligence that this was around is unverified. Um, we've got you know over a dozen intelligence agencies. They make assessments, they share them internally, and they turn them over to policymakers to make judgments based on their assessments. This particular one was unverified, but what I would say is any time that something like this is flagged, our forces and our commanders in the field are constantly taking force protection measures. So this idea that American soldiers were sitting ducks um, while this happened, that's, just un- that's unacceptable, it's unheard of. General Miller, who I know personally, who's the commander of forces in Afghanistan, is somebody who every day is analyzing intelligence, responding to threats as they arise, even unverified ones, to threats known and unknown. But secondly, I would say this president has been tougher on Russia than any president in recent history. Um, you know, I would point to the example of we had a situation in Syria in 2018 when Russian mercenaries were attacking U.S. forces and coalition forces, and we took very firm action against them. We've expelled Russian diplomats. We've um, imposed extremely strong sanctions. But this particular story, it's not our assessment that it panned out. If we ever had credible reason to believe that in fact any adversary was putting prices on the heads of American soldiers, I can guarantee you Donald Trump would be the first person to act to protect American interests and to protect American troops.
0: Mm, As we wrap up here, my last question. Once again, I know you can't get into politics, but I am curious. As we sit here today, uh, the polls, and I put those in air quotes because th- some of this polling methodology is a bit haywire, but the polls suggest that things aren't looking great. You've got co- COVID 19 and the economy. What, what's the, the view inside this administration right now as it relates to what's coming up in November and the choice before the American people?
1: Well, we think the choice is clear. We think it's a choice between this ongoing effort to rebuild our economy in light of this crushing pandemic that we're we're under from a president who built the hottest economy in modern history we think the choice is clear there we think it's a choice between law and order and frankly lawlessness that we've seen in some american streets um we we recognize the reality i mean it's been a very tough time for our country we're not surprised by those polls but i do think the american public knows that this president believes in them he wants a better future for them and he's delivered it before and can do it again so you know we don't pay that much attention to it he's always focusing just on getting his job done and that's what we're going to do from now until election day and beyond
0: so you're banking on folks that want at the end of the day a law and order if not a law and order president they want to see law and order they want safety they want security
1: They absolutely do. I I think fundamentally Americans want safety and security. They don't want to have to worry. Well, hardworking people in this country don't want to worry about their neighborhoods. They want to know that they're safe. And I would just say, especially to your viewers who are a cherished audience, I'm a viewer myself, um, this president has done so much for Christians, for the Catholic community, our pro-life efforts that we've undertaken, protecting conscious rights, Promoting religious freedom. This is this is a really important time in our country. Um, we've potentially got, you know, a number of Supreme Court vacancies coming in the near future, and he's somebody who wants to put constitutionalist conservatives on the court who are going to uphold American values and protect, you know, the fundamental rights that our country was founded on. And there's no question that the answer to that is President Trump.
0: I have always said that I believe that everybody says, is COVID-19 the big issue in this campaign? Obviously, it's a huge issue. I believe that it's a choice between — this is the analysis part of the program — that is a choice between what Joe Biden calls it restoring the soul of the nation. But I think it seems like the president wants to preserve and protect the soul of the nation. And it seems to me that that's the dichotomy here.
1: Absolutely. Like we call ourselves conservatives. It's we, we want to conserve what our founders established. This is the greatest country on earth. It's been a tough time, but we're going to come back from it. We already are. We're heading toward regrowth. Our economy is coming back. We are going to restore law and order in our streets and hopefully get some Supreme Court justices. Alyssa, thanks so much. Thanks, David. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
0: That is Alyssa Farah here on the Pod's Honest Truth. Some final thoughts before we leave you. Uh, Look, I don't know how all of this is going to shape out in 2020 in terms of Trump and Biden. Um, And look, if anybody tells you, including your next door neighbor or your coworker or someone you're quarantined with at home, whoever it is, and says, oh, Biden's got this wrapped up. Listen, tell them, thanks, talk to you on November 4th. That would be the Wednesday after November 3rd. And by the way, we might not even know then, FYI. But look, we have no clue. No one has any idea. All of these polls, as I've said before, and I'm going to continue to repeat this until everybody clearly understands this. All of these polls are a bit bogus. First of all, many of them are registered voters. They're not likely voters. Uh, That's important. Remember, it goes All voters, registered voters, likely voters, that's typically how uh, polls are measured. Scott Rasmussen can talk a lot more about this, but you really want to go with likely voters and registered voters is kind of a middle ground, if you will. And even then, the registered voter polls, if you look inside the methodology, many of these polls are basically saying Democrats are going to be plus 10 over Republicans. In other words, 10 points more than Republicans showing up in 2020. Well, guess what, folks? In 2016, Democrats actually were only plus five. So the polling is oversampling Democrats, uh, number one. Number two, many of these state polls that we that got it wrong in 2016 because they oversampled when it came to education. And Donald Trump did better with less educated voters, non-college educated voters. Well, guess what? These polls are doing the same exact thing. They are not adjusting their metrics this time around as well. So that's why you see a lot of these battleground states showing Biden leading. The polling methodology is off. It's August 3rd, 2020. Put it down. Put a put make sure you timestamp this podcast uh, and then recycle it on November 4th, if indeed Donald Trump wins the presidency. Also, by the way, there was a new poll over the weekend uh, from the Democracy Institute Sunday Express uh, that said that President Trump was leading 48 to 46% over Biden and also leading in battleground states in Iowa, Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And look, folks, I mean, you're not going to hear that uh, poll in the media at all. And I'm not suggesting that they run with that poll necessarily, but you sure hear about every other poll under the sun, but you won't hear about that poll. You will hear it about, you will hear about it here on the Pod's Honest Truth. Now, am I suggesting that that poll is correct? No. What I'm saying is, is that you don't know exactly how all of this is going to shape out. Uh, The methodology in this Democracy Institute polling was much different. They counted the shy Trump voter. In other words, the Trump voter that doesn't really uh, speak up too much, uh, that might tell a pollster they are undecided when they're really a Trump supporter. They were able to measure that factor. That's interesting. Uh, And quite a bit of other factors, including momentum. And excitement for the candidate, and it shows that Trump. There's actually more excitement in Trump's base than Biden's base. And honestly, can, can you? I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Mean, look at Joe Biden. Okay, uh, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it, it's been sad to watch. I mean, it's one thing to be a gaffe machine and go ha ha, hilarious, put it up on Twitter, and everybody has a nice laugh. This is serious stuff, folks. I mean, you know, Joe Biden, and and I say this lightly. Um, when I say lightly, I mean I, I say it gingerly. I should say. But Joe Biden clearly looks like he has some cognitive dysfunction there. I mean, and, and I'm not just saying that, you know, from a political standpoint or analysis standpoint. I mean, you just have to look at the guy. I mean, it is hard to watch, and I don't like to see it. And I, and I got to tell you, you, you wonder what folks around him think, his family, the campaign. And they continue to put him out there. Not much. He's in his basement or somewhere in Delaware with nine people and a cat. But ultimately, they do put him out there. And it's just been sad to watch, and you, you you wonder how much between now and November it's going to get worse. And what about the debate stage? I mean, what what's that going to look like? I mean, that could be a huge game changer. Come the fall, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Look, you might hate Trump and you might think he's a nincompoop, if you will, uh, if you're a critic of Trumps. But put him up next to Biden, you're kidding me, right? I mean, th- this could be a major self-implosion for the Biden campaign. And my guess is they're going to do everything they can to make sure he does not appear on that debate stage with Donald Trump and take that to the bank. That's the Pod's Honest Truth. Until next time, America.